Foster, and uh, you are listening to a very special edition of Dined Out. This is the first one we've done live. We've done plenty of live streams as supplements, as little bonuses, as additional bits, sort of tie-ons to some of the main themes and topics we've discussed in previous episodes of the main audio show, but we've never actually done a episode live. They've all been pre-recorded, sometimes to a meticulous <laughs> grating level of, uh, I don't want to say perfection, but just to a, to a certain standard of which I will hold myself, which uh, can be uh, aggravating at times. So yeah, it's kind of freeing in a way. It's always a little bit scary because anything can happen when you go live and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to come out all right in the end. But uh, yeah, it's it's... <laughs> It's it's a whole new world, and you know maybe if this goes pretty pretty well, then this may be a new format to take. Uh, moving into season two, when I'm doing episodes that don't have guests, when it is just me, but it all depends. It all depends on how it comes out. Uh, basically, this is going to be available uh, as the audio version of the regular show, which some of you may be listening to right now. And, uh, yeah, if, if you are and you want to kind of catch this in person, I make it sound like it's a must-see event. But if you do, uh, let me know. Let me know. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be done right now in the, in the moment, in the here and now is the live stream, which is uh, something that may form and mould the following content. Not entirely sure yet, uh, but it is... Um, I completely lost my train of thought there. But it is also available for you to listen to on demand at any time of your choosing as well. Because that's the problem with live streams is that it's it's always difficult to pick a time where there's going to be people uh, available and what have you. So it's good to have that flexibility. But um, yeah, I talked about moulding this through the live stream and that is very much what I'm after here, uh, if possible. I do have enough material to go for a good chunk of time. But, you know, this is an episode which is going to be touching on things that affect not just me, but everybody in some way or another. Whether you think it does or not, or you've even given any weight to the idea of it or any consideration, it does. You know, we're talking, uh, as you may have figured out from the description, from the stuff that I promoted earlier for this episode, uh, from things I've talked about in leading up to this episode, we're going to be talking about what else other than the election. It is two days away, and those two days uh, feel like uh, another 10 months in some aspect, but they also feel like another 10 hours. It has been a very strange, strange uh, set of events that have proceeded to this point, and that's partly because of the the world in which we live in now, the the COVID 
sort of formulated world in which we, we now find ourselves. That framework has been very strange, as you will all agree, from one perspective to another. You know, it all differs, but it's all been very strange and challenging in, 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 in a lot of common ways, but a lot of different ways as well. Uh, one of them is, is the perception of time, it seems. You know, it's weird to think that it has only been, what, eight months now since the initial major outbreak. Yet it feels a lot longer. And uh, yeah, throwing into the melting pot, this whole election thing has kind of made it even more skewed and estranged so yeah weird surreal times for sure but they're important times you know um they they really are uh, i weirdly enough and this may come as a surprise to some people considering how much i've been talking about it in the last few months at least uh, particularly within the last like six to eight weeks i never used to be that politically minded I used to be, and I'll, I'll say this off the bat as a full confession, I used to be someone that was a conscientious objector when it came to voting because for the main part, I just didn't feel it worked. You know, it just felt like me putting my voice into the conversation, me throwing my name into the hat, me using my what I now see as a complete right and privilege to vote, I just felt like it didn't make a difference. And I felt that for the longest time, not just through like a naive patch of like um, late teens, early 20s. Uh, I, I, I felt it for a big chunk of most of my adult life. I became very jaded with politics uh, pretty early on because I did get into it. And then the more I kind of got into it, the more I, uh, I just became very disheartened by what I was seeing, what I was finding out. Uh, what I was seeing wasn't actually working. What I felt like was something that should work, but just didn't. And uh, yeah, I got I got burned pretty bad before I could actually vote for the first time, and and just decided not to. And then for a long streak, decided not to because I felt it wasn't worth my time. I felt like it wasn't worth uh, the the effort. But you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and all rose tinted glasses and what have you. And, you know, flash, flash forward even to, to this point in life and I realise just how wrong I was, you know, just how off the mark I was completely because although I still do not trust the system, I think the first past the post voting system that is active here in the US and in the UK just doesn't work. Let's be honest, the fact that the popular vote isn't considered, you can have X amount more than your competitor, but if... You, your competitor has X amount more areas they win, I think is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Dr. Iron Beard jumping in on the chat. I think the phrase hindsight is 2020 no longer means the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it really has sort of tired. This year has tired a lot of things, that phrase included. Nobody wants hindsight, that is 2020, that's for sure. Um. But, yeah, to my point, I think the system is, is incredibly flawed, but it is the system, ultimately, that we have. And for the time being, at least, it's, it's the only system we can operate within. So we, we, we should. We should do what we can. In, you know, if it's just one person's voice, it's one person's voice more than zero. You know, ultimately, 
it doesn't work this way, unfortunately, but the people should have the power. And if we don't demonstrate our willingness to to make changes, to, to work actively towards changes, whatever side of the fence you're on, whatever changes you're, you're looking for, if you're not willing to put your voice towards uh, even sort of attributing sort of progression and growth towards those changes, they're not going to happen. And it, it just it just doesn't doesn't amount to anything. But it, it is of the utmost importance. And I know some people are probably way sick of this, especially if you, you follow me on, on social medias, you're probably sick of me sort of rambling on about voting. You're probably sick of everybody rambling on about voting, but it is of the utmost importance, not just on a major scale, not just on a presidential level, but on a local level too, you know. I, you know, unfortunately... Uh, well, I say unfortunately, this is through my own lack of ignorance, I haven't really done that much digging into to local politics in the area. I guess partly because I can't vote here, uh, but still that's no excuse for, for my ignorance in that sense. But yeah, it all matters all the way down the ballot from the from the tippity top down to the bottom. You know, who we elect for, for senator, who we uh, entrust with, with local policies and legislation. It affects so much, so much more than I ever sort of really wanted to even recognize when i was younger um but you know again hindsight <laughs> in 2020 uh is is a hell of a hell of a thing it's a hell of a drug um if you have been following me on social media then you obviously know where my leanings are uh if if you don't then you're gonna find out pretty quickly you know uh because <laughs> i'm not hiding it i haven't been hiding it for some time um we are in the midst of, I, I, I say we, and I including myself in here, because I've been here for just under two years, and granted that's a drop in the ocean compared to a lot of poor people that have had to deal with this for four years, four years plus if you include the campaign. Um, and it's just, it's, it's been awful. It's, it's been like a nightmare come to life dealing with the bullshittery and nonsense that has been paraded day in, day out to various degrees of toxicity. And, uh, you know, in short, it, it needs to stop. And that's one of the main reasons why I have been so adamant about uh, encouraging people to vote, vote early as possible, get registered as early as possible, find uh, the best way for you personally to vote, whether that is in person or if it is by uh, mail. And if you have mailed in your ballot, um, absolutely hats off to you. If you are planning to vote in person on the day, however you are planning to vote, I'm hoping it's the right way. I'm hoping that you, whoever you are, are on the right side of history. But however you are planning to vote, whatever way you are leaning, then um, hopefully, you know, it all goes smoothly and without interruption, without obstruction, and you can do so as safely and as... Uh, you know, healthily, it's not a word, but, you know, uh, <laughs> we'll go with it for sure, uh, as healthily <laughs> as possible, uh, you know. Um, but it is incredibly important that you do if you haven't already. I, I'm going to be a little bit back and forth while I pull some stuff up, by the way. So I'm going to try and make this as fluid as possible, as I usually do. But there may be points right now I'm having to pull something up because I want to get the exact figures rather than just pull stuff out my ass. Um, but I saw a little bit earlier some initial figures on 
on the number of ballots that have actually gone in so far. Let me see. Yeah, more than 90 million Americans have cast their ballots so far. That's incredible. You know, obviously it wouldn't be that high in any other year, but because of circumstance and the situation and the framework in which we find ourselves, then, yeah, it's it's a lot higher than average. But, um, yeah, that's crazy, man. Almost 43% of registered voters nationwide cast already. So that's great. I mean, it's great to see so many have gone in. Um, it's going to be a, a little bit, I want to say sketchy. But it's gonna be it's not gonna be as cut and dry as as usually is because of the situation, because of the amount of work that's gonna have to go into to, to counting all of these votes, sorting them, making sure that they are done properly and what have you. So, you know, uh, unfortunately we're not gonna get the results as quickly as we may have done in previous years or as quickly as people would like, but it is of the utmost importance that every precaution is taken and that it's done as as accurately as possible because you know that if it goes a certain way which we all hope it does it's going to be contested on the grounds that it hasn't been accurate so yeah the the more accuracy we can have in the count the better but um yeah i mean if you've been <laughs> if you've been amongst this for the last four plus years uh my heart goes out to you sincerely because as I say, for just under two years, it's been pretty horrific. You know, it's been pretty horrific to see just how volatile it's been and how venomous and just how toxic it's been in so many different areas. And yeah, you know, I I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. I have to be hopeful. We all have to be hopeful, but I'm not getting ahead of myself. Uh, I'm, you know, it's looking good. Things seem to be looking good. I don't look at polls. I can't look at polls because, let's be honest, it's it's just aggravating. It's it, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts when you look at col- um, polls and you find yourself constantly updating yourself with facts and figures and statistics and, and estimates and predictions. It's just like, it's like slow drip torture and I, I just can't, I can't do that to myself. So I've avoided it. I have avoided it as much as possible. Um, but, you know, I, I, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> lost my complete train of thought there. But yeah, for, for those that have, have been dealing with it for the four years, yeah, God bless you. My heart goes out to you for, for having to put up with this, this carnival for four years. And that's what it is. Let's be honest. It's a carnival and it, it needs to stop. It really needs to come to an end because another four years of this is is just unfathomable. It's unthinkable of where we will be in four years. I can't even begin to think well what the conversation's gonna be like in four years' time if if it doesn't change, if the status quo doesn't become altered. I can't even begin to think what is gonna transpire within those four years. It doesn't bear worth thinking about. So, you know, hopeful and optimistic, but not getting ahead of myself. Because I've done that before. I've been cocky before. <laughs> you know, uh, the last time I voted back in the UK, I, I kind of got ahead of myself and thought, all right, this is a shoe in. It has to be because the alternative is so just awful and just full of rancid bullshit that it has to be. And it didn't turn out that way. So, you know, 
<laughs> learned the hard, learned the hard way not to get cocky. Um, but this isn't this isn't a, a show in which I'm just going to sort of lament for the two years uh, that I've experienced and for the four that others have. There's no point in that. Can't do anything about that. Can't change it. We can look at it and we're going to do that, but we're not going to sort of lament it. We're not going to cry about it. We're going to look at what's gone wrong and why change needs to happen. And primarily, I think a lot of people listening to this, if you haven't already cast your vote, and I mean, as that statistic said, 90 million ballots already been cast, good chances if you're listening to this, whether it is on the live stream, if it is on the audio feed for the podcast, then you've already made your mind up and you've already pick a side, picked a side even, to get my tense incorrect, uh, or my tense correct, jeez. Uh, so yeah, chances are you already know exactly where you lie in, in the grand scheme of things, but you know, there's there's always chance that there are people that are undecided, that, that are still trying to figure out which way to go. There's be a lot of people that will be voting on Tuesday, that maybe, maybe, don't know exactly just which side of the fence they're on that are maybe sort of struggling and tussling. And so this is for for a lot of them, I think, essentially, is the reason I'm doing this. And that's been the sort of main crux of stuff that I've been putting out through social media is to kind of inform, you know, because I've been been that angry political person before. I've been that angry, I want to say social justice warrior, because that phrase is just full of nonsense. But I've been that angry social person that wants change but has gone about it the wrong way you know there is a time and a place for for causing a ruckus for ruffling feathers for getting out and screaming but there's also a time where you need to sort of recalibrate adjust and realize that information is is the true weapon to to wield in moments like this rather than just a sort of a blunt force approach you know you can uh you can only do so much with a hammer, and a lot of that is just destruction rather than construction. So it's a case of, you know, finding yourself in that old cliche, that old tired cliche of thinking smarter instead of harder. So I try and use facts, I try and use figures, I try and find information and cite sources and, and use that to present to people. And yeah, there is a sense of real bias because <laughs> I do not want another four years of this. You know, I don't think I can, can deal with another four years. I don't think any of us really, those of us with a conscious heart and a spine can deal with four years of this. But um, I try and make my approach based on, on fact, on figures, on, on uh, information. And as I say, try and cite sources as well. So we're going to leave this completely open. And I want you, and regardless if you are listening via the audio feed, in the in the sort of pre-recorded podcast form or if you are listening via the live stream whatever format you're listening to i want you to get involved and even if you are listening post show in your own time say tomorrow or a couple of days or whenever i want you to get involved because this is not just a, a conversation for now it is primarily because it is within 48 hours of voting day but it's it's a conversation which really stretches out way beyond time because the issues within any political race, in any country, at any time, any time even, a universal, you know, there's no expiration date on policy, is always in flux, it always changes to some degree, and it always stays the same, to 
to some degree, but it's always at the centre of everything we do, which is exactly the point like younger me missed out on and the older me is beginning to realize more and more so yeah whether you're in the live stream um and you want to talk about the policies that matter to you the issues that are important to you the things that that make a difference and have an effect on you your family your community your loved ones your friends um please do share them let me know let me know what is important to you let me know what issues have really kind of steered you towards voting the way that you voted and you don't have to tell me how you voted that's not what this is about it's all about the policies at heart and the things that matter and as i say the issues that are of a timeless nature and likewise if you're listening in the pre-recorded audio form just because it's been gone the live stream doesn't mean you can't get in touch and and talk to me about what it is that is important to you uh, you know i'm always always keeping an open ear for you listeners, whatever we talk about, and this is no exception. So, yeah, have at it, whether it is in the chat box or it is um, just as a, as a DM or as a comment on the website or wherever. Uh, let me know what is important to you, what is it you look at when it comes to voting, and uh, what it is you want for the future of these policies. Because ultimately that's what we're looking at, you know, and that's all we can look at really uh, on the grand scale of things. However, the cake is sliced um, after Tuesday. You know, we have to move forward with, with whatever form it takes and, uh, and, and just do the best and, you know, keep pursuing the, the things that we want to see changed, the things that we want to see happen and, uh, you know, keep hold of those, those policies that are and those issues that are near and dear to us or have a, a sort of profound effect for us and, and for our loved ones and community. So, yeah. Um, so we're going to get into some. And as I say, if you're in the live stream, do use the chat box. If you feel free, if you feel comfortable to, then feel free to do so. Uh, if you don't, that's totally cool. I understand some people just do not like participating. I was very much that person for a long time. Still am to some degree. So it's no no shade there. But if you do want to get involved, please do use it freely. It is yours. This is an open and free platform for you guys to suggest, to throw in whatever you want to throw in, and we can uh, break it down and chop it up. But for the meantime, let's get into some of my notes. And again, this is pretty much for those, those you know, elusive, maybe mysterious, non-existent, undecided voters, I don't know, that may be out there. Um, this is pretty much for you, and it's food for thought to consider about the next four years, because that's what we're looking at, you know, it's it's not just a case of like uh, a continuation uh, for tomorrow and the next few days and then over to Christmas. It's for the next four years of policy and change and, you know, maybe no change, who knows. But um, yeah, I'm going to get into economics or as I put in my notes, Trumponomics and basically what that has meant the last four years, what has come of that, because that's a big part of his platform you know it's a big part of donald's platform is his economic sensibilities coming in as a businessman not as a quote-unquote politician but a businessman his emphasis for the most part has been on economics and uh you know when he was when he was running and uh once he got into the hot seat he had a contract with the american voter don't know if you've seen this it's kind of interesting to look back at now uh and and see what exactly has not happened most of it. Uh, 
Uh, and on that contract, he he put uh, that he wanted to instigate the largest tax... And these, this is verbatim, by the way. I'm going to tell you when I'm quoting, so you know exactly when. Uh, the largest tax reductions are for the middle class. A middle-class family with two children will get a 35% tax cut, which sounds amazing, right? Especially for a family with two kids. Sounds like a huge benefit, right? And so that uh, led to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, uh, sorry, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, which was passed into legislation. Um, and as I say, it sounds great, right? 35% tax cut for the average middle-class family. But it really didn't pan out that well. Uh, I'm going to be quoting a few people throughout this, throughout going through my notes. And the first person I'm quoting is Joseph Stiglitz, who is a Nobel Prize winning economist. Or e- e- economist? Yeah. Anyone that's... Uh, a regular listener to the show will know that I'm terrible with pronunciations. Uh, anyway, Joseph Stiglitz on the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. The law they passed initially lowered taxes for most Americans, but it built in automatic stepped tax increases every two years that begin in 2021, and that by 2027 would affect nearly everybody but people at the top of the economic hierarchy. So yeah, there was a tax cut. But with it came the caveat that every two years from next year onwards to 2027... uh, Oh, I don't know if it stops at 2027. But I know it starts from next year. uh, That there is going to be step tax increases. So initially, yeah, you get that cut. But, you know, in the contract, in the small print, I guess, for the average citizen, is this increase every two years, you know? Uh, and again, you know, that initial cut is great, but it's, it's like the equivalent of, you know, a payday loan scheme. Sure, we'll lend you like $5,000 tomorrow, no problem. But the interest you're going to be paying for the next five years is astronomical. It's it's along that line of thought, but that is something that was never really touted, obviously, for <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, but it's there, and it's going to be effective from next year. Uh, you know, going back to Joseph Stiglitz, all taxpayer income groups with incomes of seventy five thousand and under, which is about sixty five percent of taxpayers, will face a higher tax rate in twenty twenty seven than 2019 so yeah the short game is great but the long-term plan not so good not so good um but you know it's been a benefit a major benefit a massive benefit to some people uh you know the centerpiece of the tax cuts and jobs act has been a massive corporate tax cut and of course corporate tax cuts uh, primarily they benefit stockholders uh, you know, to, to break it down into some, some sort of simplified mathematics for you. Of all the stock holdings in America, the top 1% by wealth owns 52%, and the top 10% by wealth own 87%. So to break that down into an even simpler form is that that is a very select amount of filthy rich people owning the vast majority of the pie and finding themselves in an even more lucrative pr- position due to these tax cuts. 
So, you know, promised for the for the middleman, for the average citizen, right, and his family. And it looks, as I say, great in the short game, but then that payday loan interest aspect hits you. And in a few years, you know, it, it looks shit because it is shit. But then at that point, you know, what can you do, right? Um, keeping on the sort of tax tip for just a second, we are going to move out of finance. I promise you, it's this is not like a financial report. It's far from it, but it is an integral part because it is a major focus, a major cornerstone of, of Trump's entire platform is, as I say, coming in not as a politician, but as a businessman who's going to raise and boost the economy and just the general overall wealth for the average citizen, which really, when you're coming in as a businessman with a key foundation in resorts and leisure businesses, are you really that concerned about the middle person? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, back to stockholders and tax, which is like the most riveting section of a podcast episode we've done in the entire season, I know, but bear with me, because it is important. I, I know it's kind of boring, but at the same time, it is kind of important as well. Um, so yeah, these, these tax cuts, uh, they did and still do and will continue to benefit stockholders of, of major corporations. And of all the stockholdings in America, um, you know, a, a number of them uh, are owned primarily by foreign interests, which we'll get to in a second. I was kind of skipping ahead of my notes there. Um, a number of which there are also Republican donors, you know, or they have at least uh, ties and associations to a lot of corporate industries. And that's not a surprise. That's not exactly a shocker. It's not an M. Night Shyamalan for you, not a plot twist. Um, but it is important, you know, when it, when it comes to the, the obsession with tax cuts, with the obsession with getting that legislation passed in 2017. Uh, and a good example of this comes from something that Chris Collins, one of Trump's earliest and most ardent supporters, uh, and who was a member of his sort of presidential transition team, and yet yeah, convicted felon on charges of inside trading. But we, you know, forget that for a second. He was quoted as saying, my donors are basically saying, get it done or don't ever call me again. And that is in relation to passing that, that tax legislation, the, um, the Jobs Act, and, and oh, I forgot what it's called now. I did have it written down. <laughs> the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. So, yeah, the pressure to get that put through because there are so many people that are tied, whether in terms of sponsors, donors, or just associated to, to corporations within that, that party wanting it to get done. And it's like, when there's a major influence on legislation that affects the rest of the country, that is not a good thing. That is not a good thing at all. At, at all. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, as I said, anyway, that was from Chris Collins. You know, ardent supporter, now convicted felon on charges of inside trading. And speaking of which, you know, the one thing that is actually kind of interesting about tax cuts that's happened with this administration is that, you know, courtesy of findings from Steve Rosenthal of the Tax Policy Center, about 35% of US corporate stock is now owned by foreign interests, including wealthy foreign individuals and the sovereign wealth funds of countries such as Norway, 
Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, even. And yes, you guessed it, China. Whilst we're on the subject of taxes and China, in regards to Donald's Chinese bank account, uh, yeah, said account paid nearly $200,000 in local taxes between 2013 and 2015 in comparison to the 750 he paid in taxes to the US in 2016 and 2017. So, you know, for a man that constantly is slurring the name of China, he, uh, he doesn't mind paying quite a hefty chunk of taxes through his business dealings, uh, of which he's constantly been berating Biden about business dealings with foreign countries. Uh, and granted, I know that we're talking here 2013 and 15 prior to his, uh, his, his presidential uh, reign so far, that we know of, let's be honest. Who knows if that's continued under the table? I, I, I don't know, and I'm not saying that, but who knows? Uh, but yeah, it's, it's quite the gulf in difference, really, isn't it? $200,000, 750 Yeah. What happened to America first, huh? Um, one of the treasures being flaunted on the back of these tax cuts was also a projected wage increase to keep on with Trumponomics for just a little bit longer because I know that it's just absolutely scintillating for you guys. Um, economists within the administration projected the average household would see a possible income boost of 3000 to 9000 a radius there of 3000 to 9000 uh, And the truth is, uh, American citizens and residents are nowhere near that. Nowhere near that. In fact, things are still following the same trend that existed before the tax cut was put in place. So it's made no difference in terms of wage increase. And granted, yes, you can, you can attribute COVID into that. But even before then, it was, it was trending the same lines as it was pre-2017. So, you know, all this talk of benefiting the income of your average household, it's a load of guff. It's a load of shit. Never happened. Didn't happen. Um, and it's something that he's touting now as, as being a, a, another focus. Tax cuts for the middle class family. And as we've discussed, you know, uh, the, the sort of tactics taken. Yeah, short game, great. Tax cut for sure. Long game from next year onwards. No. And right now, you think about like how the unstable the economy is at the minute. How come how, unst how unstable people's income is at the minute because of COVID? What kind of effect is that going to have next year when hopefully we're going to be rebuilding somewhat in 2021? You're going to have these stepped increases starting next year and going forward. So, yeah, hasn't really worked off, uh, worked out in that way, has it at all? Uh, the other question you want to ask when it comes to economics with this guy is, and it's, it, this is a real simple, straight down the line question, how much can you really trust a businessman and I'm using that term loosely, who has multiple bankruptcy claims to his name. You know, I could get into this in a lot more detail, and believe me, there is a lot of history to plough through, but I don't have the time, and I'm sure you guys don't want to just sit here talking about economics for the rest of the night. But if you are interested, you want to see just how bad that side of the carnival is, then do look into the history of Trump Hotels and Casino Resorts, which was then renamed Trump Entertainment Resorts in 2004, following one of a few bankruptcy claims. Honestly, it's a financial train wreck, 
that is full of questionable decisions and just terrible failures across the board. And ultimately, the reconstruction of about $1.8 billion in debt. How much do you trust the, uh, the economy moving forward, especially in the midst of a pandemic, to somebody with a track record uh, as, as shit as that? As I said, I could go more into this, into economics. I could go into trade deficits, uh, just failed GDP projections, but I don't really want to, to be honest. If you want to look into it, it's there, all the information. And this is the thing, everything I'm talking about here is out there. I'm not pulling stuff out my ass here. Um, it's all there for you to go see yourself and look at in, in further detail, uh, in, in finer detail, if you so wish to. Um, you know, it is, it is there. Uh, one thing that I will say, and uh, look, I, Biden is not my favourite pick by a long shot. Um, but it's a damn sight better than the opposition. It's a damn sight better than the alternative. And, you know, I, I never ever trust a politician when it comes to taxes or financial stuff because, you know, there's a long-standing history of, of reasons not to. But Biden's uh, sort of plan is, is a more palatable one. It's a one that makes more sense in terms of taxes. Uh, you know, putting up um, taxes on those who are making over $400,000 a year and, like, not raising taxes for anybody else below that. I think that's a good mark. A lot of people don't like that, particularly those that have been benefited from ta uh, the tax cuts co from Trump. But honestly, I, that's, to me, that's music to my ears. And, uh, you know, uh, at the risk of being called a socialist by somebody who hasn't a fucking clue what socialism is, uh, I'll, I'll take that. But it is his music to my ears. Anybody that's earning more than $400,000 a year, yeah, you should be taxed more, mate. A lot more. Big time. Anyway, that's it for economics, unless anybody wants to jump in and uh, throw something else in there. <laughs> On uh, the, the seemingly new favourite topic. No? Alright, cool. I'll take that as a sign to move on. Alright, I'm going to move on to... And I'm talking about issues here that are important to me. Because, one, it's my show, and that makes sense. Uh, and two, there are issues I'm not going to talk about. Like, I'm not going to talk about race. And the reason I'm not going to talk about race is because I have no platform to talk about race. My race has never caused me a problem. My race has never made me feel endangered. My race has never felt like it's been a detriment to me. It has been a privilege. I don't give a shit what your stance is. There is such a thing as white privilege, and I fully acknowledge that, and I fully know that it has not caused me a day's problem. And I'm not saying that to sort of wave that in people's faces. I'm saying that because I don't have a, a right or a platform to stand and talk about race. It is important. It is a huge important issue. It is probably the one of the most prominent issues in this election. But it's not my place to talk about. That's not my experience to talk about. I will always, always listen to people that want to talk about that, who want to share their experiences, who want to, to let their voices be heard on that topic. But as a, as a white male, that is not my platform. That is not my place to talk about. Always will listen. Always will support. Will always be an ally. Always and will always condemn white supremacy, unlike some. But I, uh, I, I don't have a place to talk about race, 
other than this, you know, fuck white supremacy, fuck fascism. Um, and it's, it's, it's just, this shit is long overdue. The fact that this is still an issue in 2020 is ridiculous. Is It's ridiculous. The fact that it's still such a prominent issue in 2020 is heartbreaking. But I'm not going to sit here and talk about race because that's not my place. There are other people who, who deserve to be heard, other people that need to be heard, other people that should be heard from now onwards consistently. But it's not my place. So I'm not going to be talking about race. If you want to talk about race in the chat box, absolutely. It is, as I said at the top of the show, an open platform for you to discuss issues and policies that matter to you but yeah I, i'm not going to talk about that myself but i will absolutely talk about it if it's something you guys want to throw into the mix um and understandably uh, it, it may be because i said it is it is such a prominent issue and policy in in this year's election uh, it shouldn't be <laughs> you know we shouldn't be having to have the conversations that we've been having this year. We shouldn't have to have the demonstrations we've had this year. We shouldn't have to keep repeating the same simple message, which just seems to be continuously ignored. But yet, here we are. Hopefully, this is uh, hopefully this is a turning point. You know, and I'm not naive enough to think that it is going to be all fixed if an election goes one way or another. Because it won't, there's still a lot of work to be done, but hopefully this is a major turning point um, and some, some major inroads can be done to making this shit part of the past for good. Anyway, let's talk about something warm and uplifting. Let's talk about the environment, how it's being destroyed and that big stupid dumbass wall. Way! All right, so the wall, let's start with it. It is a cornerstone of, or it was... It seems to have rapidly kind of not become such a prominent part of his platform, it seems. But it was definitely a cornerstone of his initial election campaign. Uh, you know, build that wall, that big, beautiful wall and all that nonsense. Um, yeah. So the thing about the wall, where do you even start? Where do you even start? Construction of it is occurring mostly on public. And by the way, I am reading verbatim from a number of sources here. So if it sounds ever so slightly, um, not monotonous, but if it seems almost like I've gone into sort of automaton mode or like text-to-speech mode, it's because I'm reading someone else's words uh, verbatim here. Because I want to quote people that are smarter and more well-informed than me. Uh, and I want to use uh, sources, you know, as I said, I don't want to just pull stuff out my ass. So anyway, this a lot of this comes from The Guardian, by the way, which, you know, some people are going to be like, oh, The Guardian, oh, well, whatever, whatever, mate. Could be worse, could be a lot worse, could be The Sun, could be Fox News, Oof. could be The New York Post. Anyway, uh, construction is occurring mostly on public, often protected lands, because the Department of Homeland Security has sweeping powers to waive environmental protection laws, like the Endangered Species Act, which would otherwise bar construction. That is a scary, scary thing to even read, let alone process. So, the wall, the big beautiful wall, is, as I just said, being built mostly on public, often protected lands, reservations, and we'll get into this in a little bit, cultural and heritage sites. But um, because it is protected by the government to stop, uh, you know, any Tom, Dick and Harry with a, a, a contracting firm and a desire to build 
a, like a gymnasium anywhere. Uh, it's it's protected from that, but it also gives government or government even don't know what government is gives government the power to do whatever they will with it as well. You know they can say no to everybody else, but they can say yes to their own plans, and that's pretty much what has been happening here. You know they've they've swept away uh, environmental protection laws to build this stupid wall, which is really when you think about it, just an awful downright abuse of power. It really is. Um, the eastern terminus of the wall, for those of you who don't know your wall that well, you're going to know it a little bit better tonight. Uh, the eastern terminus of the wall is in the lower Rio Grande Valley, Rio Grande, Rio, I never get this right, lower Rio Grande Valley Wildlife Refuge, it's a lot to say, in southeastern Texas. 100,000 acres of lush protected lands that, you, that US fish and wildlife have spent four decades restoring. The 135 individual tracts of land described as a string of pearls connecting various habitats extend along 275 miles of the Rio Grande River before entering the Gulf of Mexico. It is one of the most biodiverse places in the country, supporting 700 species of terrestrial animals, uh, such as uh, a thing called the jaguarundi, which is a wild cat, as well as a myriad of plants and vibrant ecotourism industries. The landscape is now being bisected by a 15-foot concrete base surmounted by 18-foot steel bollards. So yeah, it's pretty much Fern Gully come to life. You know, this beautiful, lush, natural landscape, which is a habitat to all kinds of ecosystems and wildlife, is just being sort of run ragged by the construction of this wall. You know, just ploughing through natural landscape and reservations and refuges. Uh, it's, you know, for anybody that has any appreciation of natural landscape on its own, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous and it's disgusting for something that really is being completely ineffective. You know. Uh, I'm going to quote uh, Norma Herrera here of the Rio Grande Equal Voice Network. Uh, it's going to make it that much harder to preserve the very little that is left of the ecosystem. So the sad thing is here, there's not much that we can do about this. There's not much that can actually be done. Can be done. It seems like the damage it has been done. You know, there is a, a sense of uh, some ability to reverse a little, I guess, but it, it just feels like, or it seems like at least, like the most of the damage has been done. And it's, you know, again, it's just nonsense and it's disgusting. Further east in Arizona, new sections of steel bollard wall are being built in the largest area of protected Sonoran landscape. At the San Bernardino National Wildlife Refuge, groundwater pumping to mix concrete for the wall is draining a crucial wetland and imperiling four threatened or endangered species for which San Bernardino was, sorry, San Bernardino, told you it was terrible with the pronunciations, was created to protect. I'm not going to go in anymore, really, about that, because uh, I feel like I've made my point there. It's just, you know, how effective has this bloody wall been in doing what it's supposed to do? I mean, people can scale it. People have found structural weaknesses. They've managed to cut through the bollards. They've managed to remove bricks, panels. It, and for what? For what? An eyesore that is cutting through such beautiful natural landscape and absolutely demolishing and perishing wildlife and ecosystems, some of which you'll never ever get back again, 
Some of which, when they're gone, that's it. There's no repeat orders. You can't just order it back in when it comes in stock. It's gone. It's done. It's done, mate. Absolutely finished. You know, but I expect no less for somebody that doesn't even want to even, like, even acknowledge climate change is a real thing. So why would we expect him to give a shit about the, the ecosystem, the wildlife, the natural preservation of the very country he's supposed to be running? And that leads me on to, to other aspects um, in a little bit, kind of just finishing up on the wall. Outside of environmental damage and the and conservation reversal that's been going on with the building of the wall, it's also ravaged native and ancestral lands, you know, cultural and heritage sites, things that have been there for God knows how long, things that have had the m- most importance to natives of this land, to the indigenous people of this country, just ploughed through. I, I could go into further details here, but again, I'm going to try and move on. But I will say this, if you want to look at just some of the stuff that has been happening, one thing that I would recommend you dig into is the the issues regarding organ pipe, um, which is uh, like a, a national monument. It's an, it's an area, I can't remember whereabouts it's at. Um, but yeah, just, this, just as recently as the start of October, there was issues over there. Um, and one of the issues that's affected that area is the use of dynamite on native burial grounds to clear a pathway for this bloody wall. Ridiculous. Um, yeah, outside of that, outside like the ravaging of, of natural landscapes and, uh, and ancestral spots, cultural heritage spots, uh, you know, it, it really is, it's just a continuous lack of concern for... The, the ecosystem for the for the world in which we're inhabiting. You know, you, you can you can have all the best intentions for the country that you're supposed to be running, but if there is nothing much left of it after a certain amount of time, after a short amount of time, if you are doing nothing to uphold the preservation of it, then what's it for? What is it for? And and that leads me to two points which I think is is just ludicrous and terrifying. If I'm being honest, the first is pulling out the U.S. the pulling the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Accord, which you know could very well become a reality in three days. That is the earliest that that can happen. <sighs> November fourth. Um, yeah, it could be a very real thing come then, depending on what happens, and that's terrifying because at, at the moment. The, the amount of damage that has been done to the environment, it's, it's unavoidable. It's, it's just, you cannot, you, you cannot argue with it. The evidence is there in front of us. We're seeing so much change that it's just, it's undisputed. You know, as, as much as you want to bury your head in the sand and pretend like it's not happening, it is. And by pulling out of something like the Paris Climate Accord, which is grouping resources, capital, scientists, uh, professionals, people of the utmost higher levels together to work on, on ways to kind of halt this as much as possible, to kind of make sure that there is a world moving forward, it's, it's just, it's, it goes beyond selfish, you know? It, it goes beyond any sense of rational explanation. The same with pulling out of the World Health Organization, you know, which becomes, if, if it goes ahead, which hopefully it doesn't, which goes ahead... 6th of July 2021, you know, and again, that, that stems down to finances, again, down to finances, when the, the WHO have 
have provided so much in terms of uh, eradication of disease, of treatment, of research. Uh, and again, it's it's not wanting to be a team player. It's not wanting to do something that's bigger than themselves uh, that actually contributes to humanity, you know, that contributes to the preservation and safeguarding of the world, you know. And I understand every country has to put themselves first to a certain degree, but when it comes to stuff like that, it's just, it, it's baffling, absolutely baffling. Anyway, to round us off on the wall, the wall, of course, as I said, was pushed as a huge part of, of his agenda, his platform on immigration. And, you know, if, you, if you've forgotten that quote in terms of uh, uh, Mexicans coming over, let me just remind you what our dear beloved leader said. They're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume... Good people, yeah. He also said, I'm gonna build a wall and Mexico's gonna pay for it. Well, guess what? That didn't happen, yeah. That grand plan of getting Mexico to pay for it did not happen. Shocker, I know. Uh, however, it was financed billions of dollars financed this through governmental budget, primarily Department of Defense and military spending, but. You know, it wasn't all just taxpayers' money. Um, some of it came from the We Build the Wall uh, organization, a private company founded by Brian Colfage and led by Chris Kobach and Steve Bannon. Uh, yeah, privately sourced uh, funding company called We Build the Wall. And if you're unfamiliar with what happened there, uh, earlier this year, both Colfage and Bannon were arrested for fraud. Bannon allegedly has funneled over $1 million from hundreds of thousands of donors. So, yeah, fleecing the very people that think they're investing in, uh, you know, these grand schemes of protection. And it's all for the sake of immigration. It's all for the sake of protecting the U.S. from immigration, right? And that is its own thing which i'm not going to get into and i don't necessarily need to because you know how it goes you've seen what it's been like camps cages children separated from their families flimsy process and level of communication with people seeking asylum and refuge from lethal life-threatening situations this is its own beast and you know i don't need to get into that and and you know you, you know the score and if you're turning a blind eye to it then shame on you really honestly truly if you can just overlook some of the behaviour that has gone on, if you can overlook some of the reports that have come out from these camps, shame on you. Anyway, on the topic of immigration, just for a moment, and it kind of ties in with the other main sort of issue that has been occurring uh, during this election process, and that is obviously COVID. The two kind of go hand in hand somewhat, in, in this degree, uh, due to the pandemic, the administration has invoked a thing called Title 42. And, like, don't just take what I say about this. Go and research it. Research what has happened with Title 42, what it implies, what it gives in terms of powers and ability. It is, you know, I don't want to say Orwellian because I feel like that has just been so overused this year as well. But it is, uh, yeah kind of terrifying basically is a broad ruling um that isn't directly related to immigration but title 42 does allow the administration to take already cleared asylum seekers in the u.s 
and eject them without due process, all based on the grounds that it's uh, preventing the spread of potentially dangerous uh, infections. So like for basically it's been invoked because of COVID and, you know, as a safety measure, it's, it's giving the administration the ability to basically boot people that have already been cleared and given the green light back over to where they came from out of the country. And, you know, as I say, it's been touted as a sort of health and safety measure for COVID. But who's buying that? Really, who is, who is buying that? I mean, it has absolutely nothing to do with that whatsoever. I mean, when you've displayed consistently a complete inept and half-hearted approach to the very pandemic that you're saying this is being used to help sort of protect and shield further infection from, it's really hard to take that seriously. When you've showed such little concern, when you've downplayed it, when you've kept information purposely away from the citizens within your country already, when you've just really treated it like an afterthought, it's kind of hard to believe that you're taking such extreme measures for the safety of citizens when it comes to this pandemic. It just really is. Even more so when the CDC was forced to issue Title 42 despite scientists within the CDC saying there was no evidence that the theory that it would slow down the virus is actually true. So scientists within the CDC concluded that invoking Title 42 would do bugger all in terms of slowing the virus down. It wouldn't have an effect, would not make a difference. But their hand was forced and it was invoked. It makes it even harder to believe that this is a pandemic safety measure when you have someone like Stephen Miller, who is, or at least was, I don't know what his status is now, but he was at some point, if not still is, Trump's immigration advisor, who tried to invoke Title 42 on not one but two separate occasions last year. One because of an outbreak of mumps, and the other when border patrol stations were hit with the flu. Even further, this guy, Stephen Miller, has been so rampant about invoking Title 42 that within the first six months of the administration, he had this on a wish list. This is the, <laughs> this is the immigration advisor, and he's making a wish list within six months, and on that list is this, which basically gives you carte blanche to do whatever you want. And that seems to be what is happening. Because since March of this year, there's been close to 200,000 expulsions from cleared asylum seekers. 200,000, close to. It's not there yet, as far as I know. But it's about 190-something thousand. But we're going to round it up, because why not? That's how it works nowadays, right? You can just say whatever. But it's about 196,000 expulsions from cleared, greenlit asylum seekers without a court hearing, without a case, presented nothing. Just off you go, lads. It really makes it seem kind of like a shady deportation, shady deportation system that's kind of piggybacking off the, the, the convenience of COVID to just operate lawlessly without checks or restrictions. 
It's terrifying. It genuinely is terrifying. And on the topic of the pandemic, aka the shitnado that nobody deserves, but we have it, um, I'm going to end this with this, because it is the, the ongoing mutating elephant in the room that nobody is even... Some people are trying to ignore. Some people have already ignored it for months now. Um, but it's there, and it's not going away. As much as people may tout that it is, as much as, as, you know, as much as people may say we're turning a corner, you know, it's, it's there. And it's been a huge part of this year, and it's been a huge part of the failure of this administration. Just uh, as of checking today, just over 236,000 deaths now. That's shocking. Shocking. 236,000. That's insane. It's absolutely insane. And what's more insane about it is it could have been prevented if there wasn't such inept... I don't even want to say leadership because that's been too kind. If there was such inept behavior posing as leadership, then, yeah. You know, nature, you know, to quote Dr. Ian Malcolm, will find a way. But, you know, planning, preparation, not getting rid of a pandemic resource uh, package will, will really help. You know, sharing information, communicating, transparency. So many things, so many things will help in that sense, but uh, so many things have been ignored, and that's where we're at, and it's rising. Yeah. Um, those are just some of the issues. There's plenty more. I could talk for ages and ages and ages about this, but uh, uh, I'm not going to. I'm pretty much done. Um, I do want to hear from you guys, though, uh, at some point. If you've got issues, if you've got policies that have been important to you, that have weighed on your mind, on your soul, on your heart, on your vote. Uh, I want to know, you know, because it's important that we talk about these things. It's important that we talk about them uh, looking at what's happened. But as I said at the top of the show, it's also important that we look at what could happen, you know, Uh, not getting ahead of myself, keeping optimistic, keeping hopeful, like I said. But you've got to, you've got to look forward, you know. Whatever happens, whatever way it goes, that's all we can do, right? Whatever way it gets sliced, you just got to kind of keep a sense of hope and optimism and just try and move forward as best you can and keep those things that are important to you. Keep those issues, those policies, those things that matter, those, those themes, those, those real, real uh, integral stems of, of life and the things that form life. Keep them close and, and keep them, you know, at, at the forefront of, of hope and optimism. Uh, it's all we can do, essentially. Um, it is tough. It is a real. This 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 year has been an absolute uh, just a cluster. You know, I don't need to talk about that. I don't need to go into that. I do, it, it helps nobody, I guess. But it's it's not made things easier. Uh, things are difficult. Things may still be difficult for some time, regardless of how it goes. But uh, hope and optimism, I guess, is is what I'm trying to sort of fish out from all of this, and I think it's what we all need to be trying to fish out, and helping each other sort of fish out, and and sort of implement as much as possible, you know, whether we get the result we want, and the result that we deserve, or we don't, it's, it's what we have, you know, we just, we have each other, um, 
and, and it can be easy to lose sight of that, especially when, you know, it's become so divisive. And I haven't got into any of the divisive factors, any of the hateful rhetoric. I don't need to. You know that. You've seen it. You've heard it. You know the quotes. You've seen the footage. Um, I don't need to rehash that. I just wanted to touch on some things that were important to me. You know, uh, the, the, the awful idea of just the, the filthy rich getting richer whilst other people suffer, struggle, whilst people in squalor are just kicked further into the dirt. It's disgusting. We should be beyond that, you know, as humans, as people. Outside of politics, in just a, in a in a realm of ethics, we should be past that. We should be past trampling on each other. We're not crabs in a barrel. We're humans. We have hearts. We have minds. We have souls. Most of us, you know. And that's what I'd like to say. You know, maybe maybe I'm just a bit of a naive optimist. I don't know. I try to be, because there is a part of me which is a pessimist. There's a part of me which just thinks it's all going to hell in a handbasket. But uh, what does that do? You know, what does that do when that, cons- when that consumes you and takes over completely? It erodes a person, and I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing it erode, not just a nation, because it's not just this country. It's not at all. It's a big part of the world. It's a lot of the world. You know, we're seeing a lot of the same issues reflected here, reflected elsewhere. We're seeing a lot of the same ugliness here, reflected elsewhere. And it's, it's just, it's tiring for the soul, and it's, it's primitive. And we should be past that. We should be way past that. And hopefully, as I said a little bit earlier, it's not going to all happen overnight. It's not like flicking a light switch and turning a dark room into an illuminated space. It doesn't work like that. It's a case of building. It's a case of progressing. It's a case of moving forward and constructing, not destructing or destroying. (laughs) Almost. I almost had a pretty... uh, Pretty somewhat semi-profound closing point there, and then I had to ruin it with failing words. But um, hey, I'd rather have failing words than failing thoughts, right? Um, yeah, that's what I want, and I wanted to just talk about some things that matter to me. So yeah, just just it is an e- equal balance, more of an equal balance in in terms of the fiscal side of things. You know, we should be beyond that. We should be way past. Just the soul-destroying capitalist desire to be wealthier than everybody else. To be willing to just stand on people to climb the ladder. You know. We need to move past that. And in terms of looking after everything around, you know, there's a reason why for this whole season I've had that sign-off of, of look after yourself, look after those around. Um, look after yourself, look after each other. Man, I can't even remember my own sign-off. And it's because it's true, and that includes the environment, and that's why I included that in there, because it's a huge part of of who we are. It's a huge part of where we come from. It's a huge part of where, hopefully, we're going. And we've done enough damage. We don't need to do any more. And... I just, I just feel like when it's completely negated, and it's not even acknowledged... It's a poor do, and that's not something I can get behind. And, you know, if if you have any investment in your surrounding space, in the outdoors, and we should do, especially this year, when we've been deprived of it a lot more than we ever have been, we should be more concerned for it. We should be holding it in closer regard. And hopefully that's the case. You know, hopefully what happens next is a step towards getting back on that page, 
of looking after the space around us. Because if we don't, then it's not going to look after us, you know. Really isn't. Anyway, I feel like it's getting slightly maudly now, so I'm going to stop in a minute. But yeah, those are just a few issues that are important to me. Uh, it is an important time. Uh, I do realise that this has been somewhat heavy, it's been somewhat serious, but hey, sometimes it has to be right, sometimes you need to kind of just uh, sit and take a close examination of the things that are, are important and integral uh, and actually matter, not just for the for the here and now, not just for the time being, but for further down the road. You know, the decisions that we make, the choices we make, they are incredibly influential um to our immediate selves and to those around us and to just the shape of where we're going to be in the next four years eight years 16 20 you know all matters it's all connected it's a domino effect for sure and uh that, that's why it's of the utmost important that we know which pieces we're placing now yeah all right on that note i'm gonna i'm gonna go and uh head off but i am gonna be back doing a live stream of music on Tuesday to kind of get a bit of an uptick, more of a, a less maudling, <laughs> less serious, uh, more relaxed, hopefully uh, excited feel, a good vibe. So yeah, that's going to be happening on Tuesday on the on the live stream platforms, primarily on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash dimed out. We're going to be doing dubbed out. I've got about four hours of drum and bass, jungle, dancehall, reggae, reggaeton, ragastep, all sorts of Jamaican and West Indies influenced music because one, that music is brilliant and two, it's very much a cultural embrace that I love personally and that I think is is really kind of, of pivotal to so many different genres of music and subcultures and yeah just a, a real catalyst for great change and it's just a good source of uh, just positive vibes and energy so yeah we're going to be doing that on tuesday uh so yeah just keep an eye out on social media stuff and uh you'll be you'll be seeing stuff for that on on tuesday we're going to be doing that at six o'clock as well on tuesday so, yeah, you can kind of double screen it, I guess. You can watch me spin some tunes and kind of keep up with what's happening if you're interested in that. Or if not, and you just need a complete uh, distraction, then uh, come join me for some some prime, prime quality uh, drum and bass jungle, uh, dub, reggae, reggaeton, uh, ragastep, all sorts of good stuff. It's going to be great. Um, yeah, dubbed out. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a good cathartic release of energy for all of us. Uh, along with some absolutely banging tunes. Yes, uh, going to be great. Um, so, yeah, other than that, um, good speed to you all. Um, if you are going to go vote on voting day, then please, as I said earlier, do make sure you take all necessary precautions. Be safe. Be safe out there. Uh, if you do witness voter intimidation, there are phone numbers. Uh, you can find them online. Uh, I will share that infographic. I think I shared it already on my Instagram, but I will share it on other platforms as well. It's a good thing to have, and hopefully you don't ever need to use it. But if you do see voter intimidation, if you see things that don't seem quite right, then yeah, to keep things in balance, to keep the scales upright, it's there. Um, you know, and like I say, hopefully you don't need to use it, but it's, it's a good thing to have just in case. So I will share that as well. But yeah, if you're going out uh, on voting day to go vote, uh, first and foremost, excellent. Good. Put that voice to use. It does make a difference. 
uh, and as I said, just uh, be as safe as you can be, you know, take us, take the precautions you need to, uh, get in, get out, get yourself home, and know that you have put your voice towards making a difference, that you've used your right and your privilege. Yeah, other than that, this has been it. It's been interesting doing it live. I think we'll be doing this again at some point, maybe for part two, which is going to be the final of the, the first season. We're going to be looking at life after the results when everything has been cleared and we know what's what. So it could be a street party. It could be a wake. Who knows? <laughs> um, either way, we'll move forward. You know, we'll move forward with hope and optimism which is what I'm hoping you're going to be doing over the next couple of days. Over the next, uh, you know, as always, thank you for listening, guys, in whatever format that has been. Uh, look after yourself, look after each other, and until next time, fingers crossed, and keep it timed out. Mm-hmm.